Father, thank you, God, that we do have hope. Because of Jesus Christ, we do have hope, and that hope exists in our heart. God, the very power of the resurrection lives within us, and we have cause to celebrate this evening. God, there are people in this world that don't know that hope. There are people in this world that know uh, that don't have any hope. God, they're, they're without hope. The hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of resurrection, the hope of life eternal. God, and it is our, our, our duty as Christians, our, our duty as followers of Jesus to go and, and spread this hope, to tell people that there is something beyond this world, there is something to look forward to. And when you look in the eyes of someone that does have hope, God, and you share the beauty of the gospel with them, God, I know what it's like. I've seen it firsthand to see their eyes light up and for them to just embrace this hope that exists in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that feels like they're without hope, they're without eternal life, God, they feel like that they're at the end of their life, so to speak, God, and they don't feel like there's anything else, God, I pray that they would see that eternal life begins when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and eternity begins at that moment, at the moment of salvation. So, God, I pray that you would rescue that soul tonight. God, I pray for this message. God, I pray that your word would go out. God, it would change lives. God, we learned something about you tonight. Uh, Lord, many times we come in here and we uh, have had lots of things on our minds. And uh, most of the time we've learned a whole lot about the world, but not enough about you throughout the course of a week. So, God, I pray right now that we would focus in and listen with our hearts and our, our minds attentive to what you have to say to us. So we might be able to understand something more about you. God, we do love you. and We are thankful for this precious word. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so as expected, we're continuing our series, Miraculous. We should have the picture of... Nope, I'm back. I'm gone? No, I'm still good. All right, good. All right, so we're, we're to the cornerstone of the whole series, right? So the picture... I can't turn that far. Don't let me... The picture here... It's of the five loaves and the two fishes. Anybody ever heard of that story, five loaves and two fishes? Jesus took five loaves, two fishes, fed 5,000 people, right? Everybody's heard that story? I searched desperately for a historically accurate picture of five loaves and two fishes. You can't find one. Uh, this is not really representative of what five loaves and two fishes would look like for this little boy that had the five loaves and two fishes. It basically would have been like if you were to imagine... A loaf of bread back then would, would actually be like, have you ever had a, a biscuit at Cracker Barrel? So if you would have taken a biscuit at Cracker Barrel and you stomp it with your foot um, and you would have a flat biscuit, that's basically what it would have looked like. That's what a loaf would have looked like. It would have been like a really big trisket, almost is what it would have been uh, for the little boy. He would have had five triscuits and two sardines. That's probably what he would have had in his lunch. A little boy would not have had all of that, carrying that around in Jewish society to, to feast on for, uh, for lunch for a given day. But it's the best I could do, right? I looked for a picture, couldn't find one. Everybody recognizes. They knew what that stood for. They knew there were five loaves and two fishes up there, and there was a basket, and everybody knew, like, yes, Jesus did the whole miracle thing and fed 5,000 people, and it was great. And that was, I had to pick a picture of a miracle of Jesus that everybody would recognize. The reason everybody knows about this miracle more than the others, you know why that is? Because it was recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this particular miracle in all of their Gospel accounts. 
um, which happens to be the only other miracle that they, they recorded in all four ga- gospel accounts. The only other miracle that was performed besides this one was recorded in all four was the resurrection of Jesus. So that's the reason everybody knows about this particular miracle because it's like the most prominent. It's the big time miracle of Jesus that everybody knows about. If you've ever read any part of Matthew, uh, Mark, Matthew, Luke, or John, you would know about this particular miracle because it's recorded in all four of them. So that's the reason it's a big deal, right? So even though the picture is not historically accurate, the story is good. So we got to cover the story because we can't talk about the miracles of Jesus without talking about this one, right? So everybody kind of knows this story. If you've ever been to a Sunday school class or you've ever been in church for very long, some pastor, some preacher somewhere is going to tell you about five loaves and two fishes. So we got to cover that one today. So we'll be in Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at Mark's account of this particular, um, this particular miracle, but also we'll be talking a little bit about what John says. John has a very unique perspective. I like John's perspective too. We've been in Mark the past three weeks, so I thought we'd stay in Mark. We're going to begin in verse 35. Actually, in verse 30, I want to make sure. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And many people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got ahead of them. So here Jesus is, is teaching in Galilee. He's still doing his preaching thing on the shores uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And they get in their boat to go somewhere else because the crowds are like all around him and they're wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. But more importantly, they want to see what tricks Jesus can pull off. He's done some other cool stuff with healing some people that were very sick, raising somebody from the dead. I mean, like that's some pretty cool stuff, Jesus. And at this point, Jesus has sent out his disciples and said, okay, it's your turn now. I'm giving you my power. You go out and you start healing the sick and you start performing miracles too. It's your turn to go and do that. Well, that's pretty cool that the disciples have that power to be able to do that. And, and I like the, the fact that the disciples have that power to do that. It was for a particular purpose at that point in time that Jesus bestowed power to these guys so they could do it, so that people would recognize these guys have the same power that Jesus has. It's important for them to do that at that particular time. Now, some people say, well, there are so-and-so healers out there that can do this. They can touch so-and-so, and this person can be healed, or that person can be healed by so-and-so touching them. You know what I think? Do I think that Jesus certainly has the power to bestow that in a person so they can heal somebody else? He certainly does. But I think for the most part, what you see out there is a bunch of charlatans and a bunch of people pulling off a lot of tricks so they look like they have a lot of power in them. But really what they have is not power in them. That is not what they have. It's just a bunch of show. It's putting on a a bunch of show, and I really don't particularly like seeing a show. I like the truth of God's word. I like like the truth of what Jesus says. And, and, And do I think that Jesus could bestow this power to somebody today? I do. Do I think it's likely that he does it? I do not think that it's likely that Jesus does this today. I think that it's more likely you see a lot of people putting on a lot of tricks, like when, when Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh and they, uh, they had some, some magicians come and, and they tried to do the same thing that, that Moses and Aaron did when they threw down a stick and turned into a snake. I think what you find is a lot of people trying to act like they're doing stuff that God does, but in reality, they're not really doing that. Do I have any proof? I don't have any proof. All I know is that I see a lot of people that, that claim to have been healed by some person that says they had the power of God in them 
And the reality is they haven't been really healed at all. Because when Jesus heals you, when when the power of God is poured into you, it's not like, oh, well, it kind of went away after a while. It's life-changing. It's eternal. It doesn't go away. It doesn't fade off. The effect fade off after a while. It's real and it's powerful and it's of God. And the most important power and miracle of God is when somebody's life is changed by the healing power of God in a spiritual sense. When they're rescued from death to life, when they come from darkness into light because their soul has been rescued, because they believe the gospel and they profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is a miracle of God. And that, that, that is the purpose of all of this talk about miracles. It's so that we understand that God has the power to do all things. And the most important power that he shows is the fact that he is able to rescue a soul. And here we see people following Jesus around. And they're, they're chasing him around. They say, man, let's, show, let's see another good trick that this Jesus guy is going to do. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus actually kind of has compassion on these people. We're going to see that in just a second. It says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus had compassion on these people. It says, literally, it says that his gut was rich. That his gut just like was in turmoil because he just could see that these people were like sheep without a shepherd. They have nobody to care for them, nobody to take care of them on a daily basis, to take care of their physical needs and their spiritual needs. They're, they're lost. A shepherd's purpose is to guide the sheep, to wrangle them in at night and to protect them and to keep them and make sure they don't run off. And Jesus has compassion on these people because he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, does, does that mean that Jesus says, you know what? Only you folks that are real believers, you can, you, can go on, you can go over here and I'll feed you. Everybody else that's just here for the show, you go over there because I'm not feeding you. He doesn't do that. This shows how compassionate God really is. That the, 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 the sun rises and sets on the just as well as the unjust. That the rain falls on the good as well as the bad. That God has compassion on everybody. And here we see Jesus moved with compassion. Because these people are like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're going astray. And they don't have somebody to take care of them. And, and, it, and it bothers Jesus. So he begins to teach them. He says, here, let, let, me, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about repentance. Let me tell you about what the kingdom of God is really all about. And it says, late in the afternoon, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so, we can, so they can go to the nearby farm towns and villages and buy something to eat. So the disciples are like, hey, this is good, Jesus. I like this whole teaching thing that you're doing. And people are understanding more about the kingdom of God, and this is good, and, and I hear you. But, uh, you know, these people are getting hungry. Now, these people are like me. These disciples are like me. Um, you know the reason they probably said these guys are getting hungry over here? It's probably, probably because the disciples are getting hungry, right? That's what I do when we're at Disney World, and uh, we're trying to figure out if we're going to eat or something. And I'm like, y'all, we got to eat. Look at Cassidy. She's famished. Look at her. Look at her. She's wilting away because she has nothing to eat. We must feed her. It is important. Me, as their father, who cares for her, who leads her and guides her, must take care of her in such a way that she 
is not so famished and neglected by us not feeding her. Bless her and keep her. Let us go and feed her and nourish her with sustenance and food and make her strong so she can ride Peter Pan's flight. No, so these disciples, I imagine the reason that they're saying that the people are hungry is because they're hungry too, man. Their stomachs are growling too. They're like, I mean, I, you, these are men, okay? These are ordinary men. We're actually going to be studying that book this, this fall, 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur. It's going to be our next book study, by the way. Uh, for those of you that might have been planning on something else, that's the one I think I've landed on. We're talking about ordinary men who got hungry, and they said, Jesus, this is good. These people need to eat, though. It's getting late. It's remote. There's no place for us to go and and get some food and bring it back to them. And and so we got to figure out something to do for these people. If we're going to send them off to town to get something, it's going to take a while. You might want to cut them loose now and let them go back. Jesus, he has compassion on these people, sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. He he cares about them. He cares about what's going on with them. And so he... he, uh, I love what Jesus does here. He points back to the disciples. He says, but Jesus said, you feed them. He looks at his disciples and says, okay, do something about it. We don't need to send them off to the towns to go buy something. You feed them. Now, think about this. The disciples are like, do what? You know, I mean, that's literally probably the way they responded. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Now, remember that Jesus had given them the power to cast out demons, to heal sick people to do all these miraculous things, and here they get in a situation where the people don't got any food, and Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. They were thinking, well, this is out of bounds for the power that I have. Jesus just gave me the power to cast out demons and to heal sick people. He didn't really give me the power to feed people. You know what I believe? I believe that, that these men really probably probably had the power, if they would have had faith, if their faith would have been strong at this point in time, and Jesus says, you go feed them, I believe if they would have got together and prayed and asked God to pour manna from heaven, that's probably what would have happened. I, I, believe, I believe with all my heart that these men, if, God, if Jesus himself says, you feed them, I believe he was giving them a challenge, where is your faith? Just like he did when they were in the boat and they thought that they were dying and all that stuff, and he says, you go feed them. You do something. Where is your faith? Go and figure this out for yourself. He says, you feed them. These are ordinary men. They look down. They go, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. All these people. How many are we talking about here? So it says that there are 5,000 men. Literally 5,000 males is what the original text says. 5,000 males, which means that their families would have been there too. And most Jewish families were not exactly small. So the estimates that most people come up with, and you've heard this before, is about 25,000 people. Now, if you're wondering how many people that is, I don't know if you've ever been to a JSU football game before. If you've been to a JSU football game, you know that Paul Snow Stadium, Burgess Snow Stadium Field, whatever, I don't know all the names that it's gone through. In 2010, they expanded it from 15,000 to 24,000 people is how much it'll hold now. So if you think about the JSU football stadium packed to the gills with people, that's how many we're talking about. Does that give you some perspective? Like, if you've ever been there, let me tell you, it's a pretty big stadium now that they've expanded it, and that's a ton of people. 25,000 people is how many would have been sitting there waiting for Jesus to do something. I really don't even know how he got the word out to these people to be teaching them with that many people around. 
But he's Jesus. He figured it out. He did it. And these people were able to be taught. Some 25,000 people. And they're like, man, we gotta work. we'd have to work for months to get this money together. They started thinking about physically, how are we going to do it? It says, actually, in some of the other gospel accounts that Philip, who's like the money guy, he's like, he's doing the count, and he's like, man, I'm doing the numbers. I'm running Jesus, and they just ain't adding up. I'm run- How many times have you said that to Jesus? Jesus, I- I'm running the numbers. I- I'm adding things up. I'm looking at, at what I got, and-, and it ain't coming out. The, the-, the end result is not going to work out to what I need to be sustained. Jesus, I don't, I don't know where the numbers you're getting are coming from, but, but my numbers ain't adding up like that, Jesus. What I have right here is not enough to accomplish what I need to accomplish. That's the way we look at things, right? That's the way us and our feeble minds, that's the way we process stuff. Man, I'm looking at the numbers, I'm adding things up, and it ain't coming out. It just, it ain't working out, man. The numbers just don't add up. He said, how much bread do you have? Go, f- go and find out. He sends them off. He sends them off. And, and, and they come back, and this, this, this is not in this particular gospel account, but they went to a little boy, and Andrew in particular, who was one of the first people that Jesus called, Andrew goes and he, he finds a little boy that's got a sack lunch. He's got five triscuits and two sardines, right? So that's what he's carrying around in his backpack. So Jesus is kind of a bully, right? So he takes a little boy's lunch, right? That's what's going on here. Uh, no, Jesus is not a bully. Please don't tell people that Kenny said that Jesus was a bully at Wednesday night. They were sitting there. Kenny was preaching. He said, Jesus is a bully because he took a little boy's lunch. No, Jesus had a greater plan for this little boy's lunch. How about in a a group of 5,000 men, none of them had the common sense to pack a lunch when they were going to to see Jesus, except some mama somewhere said, hey boy, you going out there and you're going to be with Jesus all day, you might want to take some food with you. Here, take this, five triscuits and two sardines, you go out there and you take this with you because at some point you're going to get hungry. How about the 5,000 men out there, and ain't none of them got the same amount of sense as this one mama who sent some fish and some loaves of bread with this little boy for lunch? That's pretty impressive, right? Kudos to the little mama who was saying, boy, you're going to need something to eat because she's fed like 25,000 people with that. Pretty cool, right? So here they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. So five loaves and two fish is all we got, Jesus. And they even say, and, and, and I, I don't know if they were being like sarcastic or if they were just opening Jesus up for an opportunity for him to do something great. But they, they respond back and say, what, what is this among so many? It's that question I, I said a minute ago, which is when you, when you total everything up and you look at the resources you have and you go, Jesus, this doesn't add up, man. This doesn't add up. And, and the disciples go, what? What is this little bit among so many people? How are we going to do this? How in the world is this going to happen? Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. So he's got them divided up. He says, y'all just sit them down, sit them down, sit them down. And I imagine the disciples are like, I have no idea why we're telling these people to sit down in groups, but we're telling them to. So you guys, you guys sit down over here. You guys sit down over there. Let's sit in groups. 
Then Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven. Where does manna come from? Where do all good gifts, where does the sustenance of God come from every single day? Every time you take a bite of food, where does it come from? It comes from heaven. It comes literally from the hand of God. Every single time you take a bite of food, every single time you take a bite of anything, you need to recognize that this has come from God himself. And that is exactly the way that Jesus looked at it. He said it looked up to heaven and blessed them. He didn't impart any kind of special power into the fish. He was the one that had the power. He's the one that had the power of the bread and the fish. It wasn't that he did something special. And when you pray over your food before a meal... And let me tell you something. You're not required to pray over your food before you eat it. You're not, you're not required to do that. Me and my family do it every time we eat. Uh, we're not required to do it. There, there's, there's nothing in the Bible that says that you have to do this. If you don't, you're sinning against God. There's nothing that says that. But I like to take Jesus' as, as example right here. He looked up to heaven, acknowledging that his food came from heaven, and he asked God, he see with with thanksgiving. He said, "He said, God, you bless the food." With he gave thanks to God for what had been given. He gave thanks to his his Father in heaven and said, "Thank you, Father, for this." And that's why me and my family did that. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish to, for everyone to share. Oh, this is where where it's really cool. So. There's 25,000 people out there, and it says they all ate as much as they wanted. They, they were, one of the gospel accounts literally says they were gorged. You know what it means to be gorged on, on food? I mean, like, you got a ton of it, and you're just like it been at Olive Garden for hours, and you were stuffed, right? That is the way that these people ate. That is the way that these people ate that day. They were stuffed to the gills. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, Jesus, he told the disciples to do this. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets left over of bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. So why were there 12 basketfuls left over? Did, did Jesus did he not count right? I mean, he's God. Surely he knows how much they need. He's God. Surely he knows exactly how much is going to fill them up. And then he'll have, he'll have exactly the right amount, right? Well, literally what this is, is um, the, the, the baskets that were left over, they're like a traveling pack. You know what this is? This is a disciple's fanny pack. The disciples had fanny packs, apparently. And it literally is enough to fill up those fanny packs with some food for the disciples. Now, I don't know if this is because the disciples fed everybody else and then they hadn't eaten yet, so they're eating out of their fanny pack, or if this means that they were taking the food with them. But this is what I do know. In John's account of this particular miracle, this is what happened. So they start going around looking for Jesus the next morning. So all these people have been fed. It's got food left over, and they're like, Wow. This is amazing. This is of God. God has fed us manna from heaven. This is fish that has been blessed by God. This is triscuits that has been blessed by God. This is good. We want to see this again. We want to experience our stomachs being full to the fact that we're stuffed again. 
So the people the next morning, they start looking around. Where's Jesus and those 12 guys, man? Where are they at? I need, I need to figure out where they are. You know why? Because it's breakfast time. It's breakfast time. Well, they look around. Where, where's he at? Those guys are gone. They didn't got in a boat and left. And people are looking around. So they, they figure out where he's gone. They chase him down again. And they're ready. They're like, all right, let's do this thing again, man. It's breakfast time. You've you got to feed us again. We're ready. Jesus had compassion on them, right? And he fed them that afternoon, that evening. The following morning, he starts talking about their greater need, their need for spiritual food. And he tells them, he says, I am the bread of life. He tells them, you don't need your stomachs to be full. That is not, what, that is not your greatest need in your life. Your greatest need in your life is for your heart to be filled with God. Real life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You guys need me. You need the bread of life. I am the one that gives you the sustenance that you really need. And you know what happened? It says many people walked away from Jesus that day. Once he stopped with the parlor tricks, once he stopped with the cool stuff, there's a lot of people that said, no, nah, I don't want any more of this Jesus thing. I, I don't want any more of this, uh, th- this stuff that this guy is saying. I'd rather have my belly full. And it says, even some of his disciples, not the main 12, but some of the guys that were hanging around the main 12, some of his disciples even walked away from him that day. You find this a lot in the world today, don't you? Some people that they like Jesus for a little while and they like what he can do for them. But when you start talking about spiritual food and you talk about the things that are going on in their heart and you start talking about the things that, are, that are, need to be cleansed out of their heart, things that need to be taken out of their lives or sin that's in their life that needs to be taken away, people go, I don't want any more of that. I like the way the music made me feel. I like the, the things when, when Kenny told a good story and it made me cry. I like the way that felt. But when you start talking about just the truth of God's word and you talk about sin and the glory of God, I don't really, I'm not really into that. I'm not really into that. And you see this all the time. That's why you'll see people come in here for a little while and then they'll leave. And maybe they'll come back for a little while, but then they won't stay. And they're not going to another church. Praise God if they are, but many of them aren't going to another church. They've just gotten tired of, well, I didn't, I didn't really feel something today, so I'm going to go on. really had enough of this Jesus thing. You know what we need? We need the truth of God's word. We need the truth of who Jesus really is, and we need the resurrecting power of Jesus that lives within us. We need to tap into that. We need to stop looking for, for what makes me feel good or what makes me feel a certain way. And we need to start looking at how we can serve Jesus so that we can walk diligently beside him. So whatever he needs us to do, we're right there at his beck and call. So we can say, Jesus, I've given my life to you, so whatever you need me to do, I'm in. I'm in. It doesn't matter if you feed me today or not. It doesn't matter if I have food today or not. I'm still following you, Jesus. I'll still be there doing what you need me to do because you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Commitment is something that, that people have a real problem with in today's world. 
especially in the area of Christianity. You know why that is? It's because they're not really Christians. They're not really Christians. They're not Christ followers. You're not a Christ follower if you aren't following Christ. Does that make sense? They have a lot of people who want to call themselves Christians, but they're not really Christ followers. They're not pursuing God. They're not right there with God every single step of the way. Whenever He calls them to do something, they're responding and they're following His call. You know why? It's because they're not anywhere to be found. They're not around a church. They're not around people that love Jesus and want to serve Jesus. They're just not there. They're, not, they're just not there. So when their bellies aren't full and it gets a little tough and the, it's a little bit more difficult because the room temperature is not exactly what you want it, and you say, nah, it's not for me. It's not for me. I'd rather, I'd rather go back home where it's easier. Jesus didn't chase after those people. I believe he still had compassion on them. I believe his, his, his gut and his heart was still wretched because those people were like sheep without a shepherd, but he let them go. He let them go. One of the most difficult things for me to see is people to come in this door and then they walk back out and they never come back in. And I want so desperately to chase after them. I really do. I really do. But I can't make them follow Christ. I can drag them along by their hand for a little while, but they won't stay there. They won't stay there. And I have compassion on them, and I love them, and I try to show them that if they're ever ready to come back and follow Christ, I'll hold their hand and we'll go with this thing together. But I can't make them follow Christ. And it is one of the most gut-wrenching things I ever see. And it bothers my soul. If you know somebody like that, if when I say those words, a name or a person pops into your head, will you come and pray for them? If it's you, if you feel like you're slipping away from Jesus and, and you're really just there to see what Jesus can do for you, I invite you to come and pray and repent and say, Jesus, I just want to follow you. If you love Jesus and you just want to thank him for the fact that he gave you food today and you just want to come and pray and you want to say thank you Jesus for being the bread of life I invite you to come and pray as well. Anybody and everybody that just needs to come and pray at this altar you're welcome to do that. Father thank you God for the truth of your word Lord thank you for how you just convict us how you instruct us, how you correct us. God, but even more than that, how you give us life. God, you are truly the bread of life. We acknowledge that. We proclaim that. And God, we want that good news to go out into this world. May we, we be your disciples that go and share this good news with people. God, I pray that you would use us in a mighty way. God, I pray right now specifically for those that have, have gone away. They've left the sheepfold. They've just gone, and, and they're not in another church somewhere. They've just gone back home. Lord, I pray for them. God, I ask you to fall heavy on their hearts. God, bring them back into your sheepfold. Lord, bring them back into your family of believers. God, we just want you to be glorified. 
We don't want the show. Lord, all we want is you. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, if there's anybody here that needs to surrender their heart and life to Jesus Christ, pray that they would do that. If there's anybody here who has somebody on their heart and mind who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you just want to come and pray for them. I invite you to do that. If there's somebody here who just wants to come and say, thank you, Jesus, I just pray that they'd be able to do that with freedom. God, be glorified now in this time. In Jesus' name. Everybody please stand. belongs to you let every kingdom bow let every ocean roar let every heart adore you now praise belongs to you what can I do but sing the greatest joy I found to lay a crown before my King. I've come to worship, I've come to lift up your name, for you deserve this life laid down like the one that you gave. I have but one voice, one heart, and one sacrifice. So would you take this life laid down, be glorified, be glorified. Praise belongs to you. Let's all the children rise. You silence all your foes. You set your glory in the sky. Praise belongs to you. Creation's calling out for the King to be revealed. A King of heaven come down.
God in one sacrifice. So would you take this life laid down and be to go um, 